Welcome to episode 5 of Tailoring Tech and Talk with me, Roberto Revilla. I'm a bespoke tailor, menswear designer and owner of Roberto Revilla London Suit and Shirt Makers. This podcast is for anyone interested in clothing, personal image and business, but we'll often throw in a bit of technology and lifestyle talk since I'm passionate about all things to do with great design. I'll be talking to a different guest each episode, including our customers who are from a vast range of different backgrounds, our suppliers in fabrics and accessories, and owners of some of my favourite brands. My hope is that you'll learn something new, meet some interesting people, and be inspired to get involved, either by commenting on each episode or even joining me as a guest. This week I'm joined by Dr. Artif Gafar of Zebra Home Cinema. We'll learn how his passion for music and film led to him starting his own business, the joy of cinema and sound, how to set up your own home cinema no matter your budget, and so much more. Artif also turns the tables on me to discover what makes our fabric so amazing, and we compare the similarities between high-end tailoring and high-end speaker systems. Enjoy! I'm super excited to be joined by the doctor of sound himself. Not only is he an actual doctor, but he's also an entrepreneur, DJ, super dad. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce the managing director of Zebra Home Cinema, Dr. Artif Gafar. Artif, welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed, Bobby. What a, an amazing introduction. I'm humbled. Um, yeah, I almost ran out of breath there because you're just so super talented how's life up in sunny birmingham today sunny birmingham uh, it's not too bad actually weather's been uh, fairly kind to us uh, how about down south it's miserable down here oh dear it's miserable down south it's overcast <laughs> it's drizzly i'm hoping that my dogs don't start their usual cacophony while we're talking but uh, look i've got you on the other line what could be better so if I may, just going to give a little introduction to Zebra Home Cinema. You provide a bespoke service to your customers, whether a customer has an existing space in their home where they enjoy watching movies and listening to music, or a customer is about to embark on a project to create that type of space. You and your team advise and tailor custom solutions to suit customers' needs. Now, before we get into that, Art, if you're a qualified doctor, how did this journey into starting your own home cinema company begin? Uh, it was born out of uh, passion, really, for uh, music and, and film that I've had since teenage years. And I think, you know, similar to your story and, uh, and Osman the other day, there's a lot of things that we go through when we're teens, a lot of things that inspire us. And it sort of stays deep within until one day it just bursts out and, and turns into something. Yeah, I've I've been a a doctor for just over 20 years. Uh, I practice as an NHS GP and also dabble in some private work. I've been an audiovisual enthusiast for pretty much about the same time. I happen to be good friends with the uh, distributor for a couple of speaker brands, which weren't really well known in the West Midlands. So I took it upon myself to introduce those brands to the region and really out out of passion try and deliver these systems into enthusiasts of people who are really into music and, and film, just to showcase something that they've never quite experienced before. So I started my business two years ago, and here we are. When I think back to when I was a teenager, like you, actually even before that, I remember the first time my mum ever took me to the cinema, it was to see Bambi when it was re-released in the 80s. And then my second trip after that was with a bunch of friends. It was someone's 14th birthday party or something. It was just the spectacle and the escapism and, you know, that smell when you went into a cinema, the feel of the seats, looking at the speaker systems that just adorned the walls of this place and the amazing sounds that they produced. When I was a teenager, I worked at Comet. I had a part-time job there at their big flagship store in Pearly Way in Croydon. Very fond memories of that place. I was running the home and home cinema and sound theatres, so I always used to carry a stack of VHS tapes, DVDs when they were introduced, uh, CDs, and for me, whether I was selling a television or I was selling uh, a hi-fi system, it was all about get the customer to experience the sound and you will lock them in. 
when the TVs were still boxy, the Toshiba 339DB. I still remember that model to its day, but it, it was one of the first big screen CRT TVs and it had Dolby surround. I don't think it was 5.1 because I'm not sure that was around on a home system in the mid-90s. But that TV, I think it was probably somewhere around £3,000 or so. So it was the one that everybody wanted to sell. I'd like to think I was one of the most successful people at shifting models of that unit because what I used to do is if they came in in a family I would get them into the sound theater it had it all set up there's a sofa in the middle of the room and then this tv set up with the surround sound all wired up Mm -hmm. and uh, I had Jurassic Park on DVD classic my colleagues were always asking to borrow it and I wouldn't let them Um, you know not least because I'd spent about 30 quid on because DVDs were expensive when they first came out right Mm -hmm. but it was always that scene they're in the upturned car and it's raining and you remember the famous scene with the glass of water on the dashboard no the car's not upturned anyway they're in the car there's that glass of water on the dashboard and then it's the and they can see it vibrating and the vibration (laughs) and then the tyrannosaurus rex just tears into the scene and all carnage breaks loose it's that scene that earned me so much commission as a teenager selling those tvs but yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Park. I guess the, the, the point, is, and then, I, you know, my ambition was to try and save enough money to buy that television for my mum and dad, um, because they still had one of those old Sony wooden back televisions. And as a busy household, it was the evenings sitting around the television together, my mum, my dad and my sisters um, to watch a movie or, you know, watch her favourite TV shows in the evenings that was just such an important time for us. You know, sound systems have come a long way since then. Uh, I mean, you can get almost, well, you can get 10 times better sound out of two tiny little smart speakers (laughs) than you can out of the speaker system that television came with. Um, So you have a, a room in your house or apartment where you're thinking, that'd make a great space for listening to music and having movie nights. We're refurbishing our house right now and I have such a room that I've got my eye on. Where do you start, Artif? Because there are so many options on the market nowadays. Really, pretty much anywhere. Gone are the days where uh, you've got to have a man cave or somewhere, you know, in an outbuilding or a shed where it's just, you know, you on your own in a dark room watching and listening to stuff. Uh, you know, nowadays it's all about the the family get together and friends. And uh, I mean, certainly during lockdown, people are spending a, a hell of a long time watching TV box sets, listen to music at home in the comfort of their own space. The systems nowadays are designed to fit pretty much any space. And you can even get sort of wireless speaker systems and everything's really adapted to let's make something fit in the space that you've got. Obviously, if you're privileged to have, a, you know, a, a loft or a basement uh, or a dedicated room where you can really go crazy on something. Uh, sky's the limit, but you can pretty much start off in any space. As long as you've got a room with four walls, you can pretty much set any, anything up. Uh, and there's very, very small discrete systems. You can have two absolutely ginormous systems that are fit for, you know, 500 plus audiences. It's It's really just finding the right, system for the application whether it's uh, a kitchen dining room lounge bathroom bedroom you know wherever you name it there's an application available in terms of the manufacturers that you work with so you're mainly using mnk sound systems and systems from steinway and lingdorf yeah so um a bit of history behind that so these are um, very well-known Danish brands. And anyone who's in this sort of hi-fi industry or in, anyone into acoustics will find out that Denmark has probably got the most number of audio engineers sort of per population in the world. And although you know, these things were invented in uh, America all the way back to uh, days of the telephone and, and you know those old vintage record plays and things, Denmark really leads the world in terms of uh, audio engineering. And so you've got loads of very, very famous brands, all that come from Denmark, you know, Bang & Olufsen and uh, Dali Speakers, Jammo, Dynaudio, and you've got Miller & Kreisel, which started off in the 70s, founded by two guys from the United States, but they were bought out by a Danish company. And uh, Steinway Lingdorf is actually a collaboration between the legendary Steinway & Sons piano manufacturers 
and collaboration with Peter Lingdorf, the father of uh, digital audio room correction uh, and audio engineer. They collaborated to make the world's first purely digital speaker system incorporating room correction technology. So with Steinway Lingdorf, although they manufacture speakers, you don't just purchase the speakers, you purchase the entire system to work within that room. And it's a completely different technology to traditional speaker manufacturers. But essentially, yeah, these are very well-known Danish brands. Um, so we're starting off with, uh, you know, the very best. And it's just through personal experience. So I've been very early days buying various speaker packages, you know, for the home and, you know, first surround sound system and um, I, I've travelled up and down the country, uh, listened to various systems, uh, going to demos, and I discovered MNK probably around about 2011, 2012. And for the price, I, I was completely astounded. I hadn't heard anything like that before in terms of a normal surround sound system, just in terms of the clarity and the, and the punch. Music's quite different. Music's very, very subjective. Some people like a sort of warmer sound, richer sound. When it comes to home cinema, particularly dynamics, when you're having sort of gunshots change between silence and, uh, you know, very loud sound, for instance, in, in thrillers or horror films, for instance, the drama of music, but particularly action sequences, the speakers need to be very, very dynamic. Uh, and one of the, the biggest criticisms that I found in early days was the clarity of speech. So you'd be listening to your surround sound system and you think, you know, I had a great time at the cinema, now I want to watch this film at home. And you're watching the same film and all the voices are a bit muffled. And yes, there's explosions and gunshots and things like that, but it's all sort of a bit muddy. Uh, and I can't quite hear the guy or, or, or the lady talking with much clarity. So that's when I came across M&K systems, which are, um, they're just incredibly accurate. So if you've got a very, very good recording and you play it on one of these speaker systems, they just sound the way that they were recorded. And that's why they're primarily used in post-production mixing studios. The very first uh, Star Wars films were mixed using MK speakers, uh, simply just for their accuracy. I've been friends with uh, Rob Sinden from Gecko Home Cinema, based in Thatcham, uh, who's the UK distributor for MK. But he also distributes Steinway Lingdorf and Lingdorf Audio Electronics. So when you go down there for a demo, not only do you get to hear the Miller and Kreisel speaker systems, but you also have the privilege of listening to the Steinway systems, which are on another planet. And once you've experienced that, there's just absolutely no going back. So I'd say, I guess it's it's the timing and the opportunity. And, and I'm just incredibly privileged to be working with uh, some of the best brands in the business. However, through my, uh, because I'm fairly independent and, and I offer consultancy. My installer and my associate installer, Kane Pritchett from uh, Virtus Integration, he has trade accounts of all the major distributors in the country. And so we can supply any brand pretty much of uh, electronics and speakers. Um, sometimes we can't use M&K systems in a, in a particular application, but we're very, very comfortable using other brands. But one thing I, I certainly believe in is I can only really advocate something or strongly suggest something that I, either I've heard before or I've had personal experience with. Um, one of the things that troubled me from the industry, uh, people very, very quick just to sell things in and here you go here's your system we've all set it up uh, and it'll be great uh, and you know the customer doesn't really know any better that they're really trusting the, the installation team uh, and, and this is my own personal experience as well was you, you know you've put this thing in what happens if I don't like it there's no going back it's all been installed you can't give it back um, very few opportunities to go and listen to something before purchasing it which is very, very different to the, the automotive industry. You know, you want to go and spend, you know, 70, 80 grand on a, on a Range Rover. Well, you can go and test drive on, uh, see what it's like. Does it feel okay? Do you like the trim? Uh, you know, do you like the sport level? Um, go and test out different engines, different cars. It's, it's very go simple to go and do. And when you know what you want, you simply just go and purchase it. In the audio industry, it's a bit of a minefield. Uh, and I, as a consumer, always just felt troubled that you're spending thousands of pounds of hard-earned cash on something you've never heard before, no experience about, and have you gone out and tested other systems? So when I speak to my clients, I always suggest to them, go out, listen to other systems. These are the different places that you can go and listen. I invested uh, a lot of my money in, in 
building my own demo room at home so that I could invite clients to come around and this is what I advocate, this is why it works. Come and have a listen and see what you think. Well, you've obviously taken a no-compromise approach to the service and the products that you offer your customers. The nice thing with M&K and Steinway is they're great brands, but they've got great stories behind them as well. So starting with M&K, 1973, uh, Steely Dan, Walter Becker, thinking ahead to the mixing sessions for the Pretzel Logic LP, um, approaches M&K, asks them to design something that doesn't exist at that time. So a studio reference subwoofer monitoring system entirely from scratch. And they just go, yeah, okay, no problem. Produce the world's first dual drive subwoofer. And that LP goes on to sell over a million copies. It's named in Rolling Stone magazine's 500 greatest albums of all time. They've been a huge presence in both music and cinema ever since. They're the go-to people for testing new technology. So Blu-ray, when that was first introduced, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that was all tested on M&K Systems. Mm-hmm. I think the sound mixing was put through M&K Systems as well for the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Correct. I'm a massive Star Wars fan. But the one thing that I absolutely love about that prequel trilogy, other than the lightsaber fights, which I still say, in my opinion, are the best lightsaber... Pod race? Uh, Yeah, the pod... Yeah, definitely on a surround system, the pod race. And then all of those lightsaber battles and any of the space battles as well, just listening to that on the best sound system you can. But you look up the word groundbreaking in the dictionary and M and K are there, right? I mean, all all credit to, you know, Ken Kreisel from the 70s who, who... you know, developed the, the, the subwoofer. Uh, M&K subs in particular are legendary, very, very powerful, very dynamic, and they go down to 20 hertz. You know, much of the drama, uh, particularly music and, and especially in films, is going down to those low frequencies, is the, the, the thumps and the vivid description of Jurassic Park. If you want to feel those thumps, you need to go down to very, very low frequencies, and your subs have to be powerful enough to fill a certain volume of space in your room um, and so you know you walk into somewhere and you've got great big subwoofers it can be big ugly big boxes particularly in traditional systems but that's actually what creates the drama um, you put this power to the subs and then your mid-range and tweeter speakers don't have to work so hard to get you know everything else right and then Steinway even more fascinating. So as you mentioned previously, all their systems are made in Denmark and we know that the Danish are uh, the de facto for style, design, you know, that sort of marriage of technology as well. You look at the Bang & Olufsen systems of the past, particularly in the 90s. I mean, they were just so beautiful. I remember, again, going back to my selling home cinema and, and audio days that you had Iwa and Sony and all those sort of brands at the sort of average level. But then sitting in the demo room were the Morants and the Bang & Olufsen systems. And if you could sell one of those, you were just made. But I'm now just reminiscing and just taking myself back to that time that just the audio of those types of systems was just absolutely incredible. It was like nothing I'd ever heard at the time. Uh, And then you fast forward to today and then you got this company Steinway. So late 90s, the founder, Peter, is developing the, this room correction, room perfect technology. But I think where their star really starts to rise is the mid-2000s when they catch the attention of Steinway. Now, everyone should know the Steinway name, the classic, beautiful grand pianos, the amazing sound that those produce. Lingdorf develops a system that re- reproduces the sound of a Steinway grand piano to the degree that even a world-class concert pianist would not be able to tell the difference blindfolded if they were listening live to a grand piano in front of them or they're listening through a speaker. I mean, what black magic is this? It's crazy. <laughs> I, I think that's what the uh, the audience probably expressed as well at the same time. Um, it is quite extraordinary, but, uh, you know, with all these things, it's science and engineering. And uh, the interesting thing about uh, Steinway and Ingdorf uh, primarily, they're an R&D company. So, you know, what do you do if you want to produce the very best and when you've got pretty good budget, you simply hire the best people in the business 
and you keep working and working and redeveloping. So, you know, if, if, if you are lucky enough to sort of watch one of uh, Peter's um, interviews with regards to how he started his company, he continues hiring the very best audio engineers and R&D engineers to continue to develop what they're doing. And, and in terms of room correction systems, I mean, these guys were well ahead of the game probably 15, 20 years before anyone else. And that, that's what they were concentrating on. They found out very early on that the vast majority of the sounds actually hit your ears are from what the room creates. So the classic example is you, you go to your hi-fi shop, you buy a pair of speakers because you know they sounded great in the hi-fi shop, had a brilliant demo, fantastic. Let's get these, let's take them home, we'll put them in the lounge, put your CD in. This sounds completely different to what it did <laughs> when it was at the shop and I don't understand why. It's because you've put the same speakers, which haven't changed, in a completely different room. So your room now, uh, whereas before it may have been, you know, hard walls, hard floor, you're in a room now which is carpeted, it's got furniture, it's got curtains, you're living in the real world. And we're not looking at a diagram with a head in the middle and two squares that represent speakers. You're in the real world, you're in the real room, and everything within that room will affect the sound that comes out of those speakers. And it doesn't matter how much foam and padding and things like that you put in the room, you're not going to really change the um, the, the, the sound or enjoyment of, of what you're trying to achieve. So they realise that by correcting the issues that the room creates, will let your speakers perform overall performance is much better. Um, at the end of the day, it's an emotional experience. And what they're trying to achieve is when you're sat there listening to the music, is you enjoy listening to that piece of music. Otherwise, you can spend hours and, and days faffing around with adding bits of kit and changing cables and uh, power conditioners and all sorts of other stuff when the real issue is created by the room that it's in. When it comes to design and aesthetics, I mean, I often try and describe to car fans out there that I, I call it uh, the Bugatti of audio systems uh, for a reason. Um, not only is the R&D there in terms of the technology, in terms of what it does, it looks bloody gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, they do. They, they, craftsmanship. So this is now where we can bring the tailoring part in because this is meant to be tailoring tech Absolutely. and talk, right? So let's, let's just try and plug some of what I do. Um, but being serious for a second, because I, you know, I love design and, and that's why I've got such an interest in technology as well as, the things that I do with clothes, craftsmanship, materials, their attention to detail on the individual components that they use all go together to create these beautiful products. They're not just speakers and amplifiers, they're works of art. You know, even to the point of, so so where they, these Steinway speakers have got that lacquering on them, that black lacquering, I was just amazed to learn, well, kind of amazed, but also not surprised, actually, that those speakers, the lacquering process is actually done in the same factory in Germany that they used to lacquer the Steinway grand pianos themselves. Yeah. I think, as I mentioned before, every individual component that goes into the circuitry of the speakers is one person on each component spending a ridiculous amount of time fine-tuning and ensuring that it's the very very best that it can be right so no wonder you end up with these audio systems that just blow your head off when you listen to them the first time i also i don't understand why this happens but in a normal multi-channel system when you turn the volume up on them you always just hear that little hiss but in these steinway systems you do that there's nothing Mm -hmm. it's just complete silence how how do they do this? You're going to tell me it's all engineering and science again. That's the basis of it. It's it's um the uh, when I mentioned before that it's a completely different uh, technology. It's they use the digital domain. So the way that the um, the processors connect to the amplifiers is, is digitally rather than analog. Depending on the source recording and source material, they try and retain as least loss of signal as, as is possible. And every time you, you change from digital to analog, there's always a little bit of signal loss or distortion. Um, so that's how they maintain the uh, purity of the recording. Um, and in terms of the speaker design, you, you're absolutely correct. Um, the little tiny S15 speaker that looks like uh, like a small cereal box, 
Um, it's completely open-edge design. And when you stand next to it and, and you're playing quite loud, there's no movement at all of the shell. It's completely inert. It, it, but it is ridiculous when you actually go and experience it, and you will. I'm going to arrange for you to come down to Thatcham and, and, and just have a play. It, it is mind-boggling that these things are absolutely ridiculously loud, but that they just don't move, they don't rattle. I mean, dare I say, I'm not a fan of electric cars, but in my head, it's like an electric Bugatti. Uh, again, it looks gorgeous, but it, the, the technology, is, it's, it's just very, very advanced. And then coming back to, uh, you're right about the lacquering process. Um, you know, Steinway and Sons from the late 18th century have been, if you watch any video on, on you know, how they get the trees, uh, they chop the wood and how they preserve the wood, for for days before they even start the lacking process, it's a superb, uh, amazing traditional process that they, they use, and and they use exactly the same approach, really for keeping sensitive to to the brand. Um, and Steinway and Sons, with Lindorf Audio, they're the only speaker company that Steinway and Sons have allowed their logo and brand to be used, just in keeping with the sensitivity of of the um, the legacy. Coming down to um, sort of bespoke, uh, I don't know if there's a good time, but it's just prompted me to ask you. I've got so many questions to do with tailoring. In, you know, in a general sense, we are programmed and sort of biologically designed to appreciate beauty. Uh, and you don't need to be a scientist to, to appreciate or understand that. You know, you show someone a beach, you show someone beautiful hills and trees and mountains. These are spectacles and they, they give you a, you know, there's a certain emotion that's evoked internally. Maybe can't articulate that, but we are designed to appreciate beauty in, in every sense. And I think it even goes to the, uh, when we talk about tailoring, you know, before you, you'd look at something and say, oh my God, why the hell does that suit cost £10,000? You know, you can go and get a suit for 99 quid. How on earth could you justify spending that much money on a suit? Or why the hell does that car cost 130 grand it just drives you from a to b uh it's got four wheels as time goes on and when you appreciate the art and the time and and the training that goes into producing something bespoke the question doesn't become why does it you know how on earth can these things cost that much no the question is i'd love to learn what has gone into making that particular suit or car or that cost that much you know tell me the process so you know, in terms of bespoke tailoring, um, I guess the, the simplest example is you go and get something off the shelf, a ready-made suit, uh, and with a few tweaks. Uh, you know, I'm sure many of many of us have experienced this. You go to a, a tailor and with a few tweaks, you can make it look fabulous because it just fits a lot better according to your body shape and things. But when it comes to bespoke, you know, one thing that I've always wondered: what, what on earth are canvases and what's a half floating canvas and 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 you know what's the, the the glued preparation and you read a little bit about this but when you see a suit that costs you know two three hundred quid and then you see the guy same guy wearing one that costs a lot more than that then you think wow okay that <laughs> looks splendid but what are the secrets to achieving that it's probably really similar to your business with speakers so you could go and buy, I can't think of it. You could go and buy a JBL Pro speaker for, I don't know, 50 quid, 100 quid. They're not that expensive. They look plasticky. They look, you know, they're not terrible, but they look like not much has gone into them. By the same token, you then go and look at a Steinway & Sons or Steinway & Lingdorf speaker and it looks like a work of art. It's got that beautiful lacquered finish to it. Um, uh, you know, any of the metal that they've used on the outside of those speakers is that beautiful kind of gold sort of, I don't know if it is gold. Um, the, well, the remote control is gold plated. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, right. So there you go. And they've got wow factor. So my wife, when she's talking about fabrics and if any of my clients are unfortunate enough to have her in the room with me when we're looking at fabrics, they're in big trouble because uh, anything they're looking at that's at the lower end of the range, she'll just look at them with, you know, sort of confusion and disdain and wonder, you know, what on earth are you doing? You know, those those fabrics are dull. There's no life to them. You should be looking at these. These these have got wow factor to them. And, uh, you know, so when you, when you see someone who's in a, a cheaper 
ready-made suit or a cheaper made-to-measure suit that um, is a lower grade of wool and so on, they don't stand out. You know, you sort of look at them and they might look remotely smart, but you're not really going to look twice. Contrast that with when you see someone who's wearing a suit where the fabric has just got that je ne sais quoi to it. And you're just wondering, what is it that they look amazing? But what is it that's what is it about the fabric of that suit that just looks so incredible? So let's take someone we both know. So let's take Dr. Usman Qureshi, who was my guest on episode. Oh yes, absolutely. Three episode two. I can't remember. Look it up. Episode uh, episode yeah, two, two. That's right. So Uzi's uh, latest suit that I made for him, the fabric comes from one of my favorite mills to work with from Dorme. And Dorme are a French design cloth, but they're milled in Huddersfield. So so I'm going to ask you the same question in a minute. So you better be ready for it. But so you take the fabric. So it, it goes all the way back to the actual sheep that the wool comes from. And there's a, a, a very long complicated process that goes from taking that wool from the sheep and then getting it all the way to a finished piece of cloth in your hand so i'm just going to give you the highlights because i don't want to turn this into a complete how we make a suit podcast because that's probably one for another time but the sheep themselves um, have got a certain pedigree so merino wool sheep the ones that we take wool from are generally located over in australia they come from the original flock of sheep that belonged to the King of Spain a few hundred years ago. So they have that lineage and that heritage. So you're taking the very best raw material at the start. Once the wool is shorn from the sheep, uh, that's where Shaun the sheep gets his name, um, you then the, the fibres are, are then sorted. So you have artisans, and what they're doing, their only job is to manually sort each fibre depending on its fineness. They separate the fibres out into their individual qualities. Once the uh, fibres are sorted into their different categories and different grades, the fibres are then cleaned, and all the impurities are removed, so grease, uh. dirt, straw... Once that process is done, the wool fibers are all separated, they're disentangled, and then they're aired. And then this gives what we call a carding strand. And it's at that carding stage that the different blends of fibers can be made. So what carding means is it's derived from the Latin name for the thistle, which is cardus. It's a prickly plant that grows at the roadside what happens is the flock of sheep, they brush against the thistles, this prickly plant, as they roam, um, and they leave, leave tufts of wool attached. So that's where the word carding comes from. The fibres are combed, so long fibres are combed to align the fibres in parallel lines. Shorter fibres are just removed completely. Then we create the top, so that's a continuous strand of clean fibre. Are you still with me? I am, I am. Now I'm really getting into this because I, I, <laughs> I can tell. I, if, you can, if you can go and see this process, it's absolutely fascinating. And then once you have the top, the strands are then dyed in bulk before they're spun, which is when you get different fibres and you twist them together. That then creates a continuous yarn used to create your finished pieces of cloth. Mm-hmm. The amount of yarn that goes into a suit varies depending on the grade of the fibre. Um, So if you take a typical suit, like the suit that I'm wearing, if you stretch the yarn out in one continuous piece, so if you could undo this fabric and just stretch that yarn out in in a straight line, you would have to run the London Marathon five and a half times to run the length of yarn that is in the average suit that we make. Wow. Okay, that's crazy. Yeah. Just try and get your head around that. that. So running the <laughs> running the London Marathon five and a half times, and that doesn't even include the lining and the canvassing that goes inside and so on. Wow. So bringing it back to to your speakers, and you mentioned chopping wood and so on. They're not just going and chopping down any old trees, are they? No. So, in turn, share the story <laughs> of how one of these beautiful speakers comes into being. 
I'll be honest with you, I, I watched the YouTube video only recently and there's absolutely no way on God's earth I could recount it in as that much detail, but um, I, I think... I'm, I'm probably was... going to edit this because that was way <laughs> too geeky. <laughs> I, I guess it, it's just the... Um, when you find out the process behind the scenes, I think that's the most awe-inspiring thing. Because you, know, you obviously you just see... The, the speaker or, or the grand piano and think, oh, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. But when you see how is it made, it's like, okay, wow, I had no idea. And I think that, that it's exactly the same when it comes to tailoring, that, you know, you can see um, a model wearing a nice suit and then you see a super suit and you think, well, that's just, you know, expensive because it's got a label stamped on. Well, actually, no, there's a lot more that goes into it. Yeah, you can charge a premium because it's got a label on it, but does that necessarily mean it's a fantastically made suit? One of the things that always amuses me uh, is, is that uh, the Madonna song, Dress You Up In My Love, uh, where one of the classic lines that always runs in my head is, uh, all your suits are custom made in London. Now, I've been hearing that since I was a kid, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, what's so special about custom suits being made in London? worldwide everyone comes to london to get their suits tailor-made this is why you're in business but the whole process i mean you know, i was reading the other day about just even doing a lapel buttonhole can can take about an hour just to do that one segment and it's like oh, wow gosh you have a perfectly clean buttonhole but what that artisan is doing is they're going with the thread and with the magnifying glass and and they're forming that buttonhole but as they loop round if they go even just a tiny bit out, they will then undo what they've done and then go back start all over again. It's the little details that can often give away how much has gone into a, a piece of craftsmanship, like a suit, and in your case, like your speaker systems. I, I think it's uh, reminiscent of the um, American Psycho uh, business card phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow look yeah, at yours yeah I've done that with mine so our cards our cards are black <laughs> well they're actually charcoal they people look at them and say that's a black card it's not it's charcoal but it's a very specific type of charcoal and the paper and the weight it's got a very specific grain it needed to have a very certain touch and handle to it when it was first given to someone because my brief was in the moment that they take it from me, I want them to feel what we're about. I want them to know that the same amount of attention to detail that has gone into that card is what is going to be going into not just the suits, shirts that we make for them, but is going into everything else that we do in, in terms of the way that we serve them, the way that we advise them, the way that you know we will go to the ends of the earth when we need to for them for whatever situation arises it's it's basically that first impression they get they know they've got that comfort that okay this is quality from the get-go i i completely agree with you i think it's incredibly important that that first impression and it's and it's reflective of you and, and it's uh even for that one moment um what are you giving them what are you leaving them with it's part of you i think i was just listening to um episode one is it ronnie Robbie. Uh, Robbie. Um, and he was referring to, uh, you know, you can get shirts off the shelf and you probably get rid of, rid of them probably every year or every couple of years. And, and that one's a bit boring, it's a bit dull, doesn't fit me anymore, I'll just chuck it away. But, what, you know, what you were discussing, if you have a tailor-made shirt, that's just for you or your tailor-made suit, there's work and there's effort and there's love that's gone into making that just for you for that particular purpose. You're not going to be chucking that away for years because... The, <laughs> Even if it doesn't fit, Bobby, take this and make it fit me again because of the what's gone into that. Uh, and there's that whole connection and emotive experience that's gone into creating something that's bespoke just for you from listening to the rest of the podcast. Uh, this whole concept of buying bulk uh, shopping and boxes arriving, it just becomes you know, the whole box shifting exercise this fits that doesn't check it all back if you get time take it to the post office if not give it to charity uh, and the amount of potential waste that goes into that compared to actually having something that's you know traditionally made just for you is a completely different emotive experience and you, you hold on to things you can apply that to again we've said this before on multiple podcasts but you can apply that to quite a lot of things in life i mean you know even i'm just looking around our 
where we're renting at the moment and you know we've got sonos speakers all over the place and they sound fine you know they're perfectly great i think they're really good value for what they are our frustrations with them are always that sometimes they don't connect so you have to reset the system to get it going again and that's not always ideal when um i mean obviously at the moment it doesn't matter because you never have people around but if you're in the middle of a party and, and you're wanting to switch systems or change music or whatever and suddenly it's not connecting and you have to restart your router it's not great and at some point these are going to go they're going to get sold to someone else and i'm going to replace them with some sort of a better system hopefully a steinway one <laughs> a lot of hard work to do <laughs> um, I, I watched the link that you sent me uh, to the Steinway uh, video on YouTube, and as as that video progressed, I my heart just sort of dropped and dropped and dropped, and I thought, oh god, this this is another one for my goal notebook. <laughs> Especially as I say, we're re- refurbishing a house at the moment. You can certainly apply that to a lot of things, and when you look at the the sort of systems and solutions that you're providing to customers, I mean, these are things that people aren't going to be chopping and changing. They're going to have them for for life. Mm-hmm. Even actually, forget about the way they're created. When you look at what you're doing in terms of advising people on the right solution for them, you're looking at the space that they're trying to fill. You're, you know, they might be using a large flat screen TV, they might have room for a a projector because you talk about the fact that if you've got the space, the only way to do home cinema is with a projection screen, which Mm -hmm. has got me thinking about what we might do in the future as well. All of these things go together to create a solution that not only is perfect for that customer, but it's it's something for the long term. And it means that they're not finding that five years down the line, they're having to rethink what they're doing with all of that sort of stuff in their home all over again, because that's just really painful. A lot of my business model, it actually comes naturally from from how I practice uh, medicine in the sense that um, when I'm treating clients uh, for the first time, I'll, I'll take sort of an appraisal. I want to know, look, who's going to be enjoying the system? What sort of things do you watch? You know, where's the room that you guys sit together that you use or where's the spare room that never gets used um, just to find out a little bit more about what what do they want out of this thing. Um, and once we've discussed budget, one of the key things is actually maintaining a sense of reality. So, you know, clients can see a picture on Instagram and say, yeah, that's what I want. I want really cool seating. I want a star ceiling and a big screen. That That's what I want. Without actually realizing the whole purpose of this thing is the audiovisual aspect. And once you've actually discussed the costs and, and you explain, well, the cost of your star ceiling is pretty much the same cost as the audio system, but you've only given me the budget for one. I'm telling you, when the lights are off, you're not going to enjoy the star ceiling. <laughs> it's the, uh, it, uh, and it all depends how serious they are about the music and the movies, you know, for a lot of clients, it's a very, very casual. We just want the room to look lavish and just have a nice time. And that's absolutely fine. But one of the things I do on, on my website is I invite people who work in the industry, the, the artists, the engineers responsible for producing the content that we love to enjoy. When I was a kid, the film would finish, the credits come up, turn it off leave the room. Now I'll, I'll actually pause the credits and find out who's involved with the post-production and the audio. Who's the cinema, cinematographer here? Who was responsible for choosing the, the songs that went into this film? Because these guys work bloody hard to produce the content that we love so much. Uh, and one of the first guys I did a Q&A with is a guy called Larry Benjamin, who works at the Formosa Group in, in California. These guys do a lot of post-production for a lot of the big movies. And, you know, the boss of the places is Mark Mangini, who did Dune, the, the new Dune film, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, and he's working for Warner Brothers for the new Dune movie that's going to be released at the end of the year. Mad Max, that one, that did that not win a sound Oscar? It did, it did, yeah. Um, and uh, these guys work mat- meticulously to produce fabulous recordings and you can only really enjoy those recordings if you've got the kit. And so when you're watching their stuff on your iPhone or a laptop, even using a pair of stereo headphones is better than just the, the normal speaker that comes out the laptop. But if you really want to enjoy the content that they've worked very, very hard to produce, you need the equipment to do it. And so I'll, I'll put all of these things and I'll try and explain to clients why you need various things to enjoy this content. 
that if you're not that serious about getting everything you want from the content, then then there's different applications. And so that's where, you know, in my kitchen, I've got a 180 quid Yamaha soundbar. Family and I will sit down, watch casual TV. It's not really about the audio, but it's just on in the background compared to the demo room where you've got 60 grand's worth of audio kit. If you can't tell the difference that there's something anatomically probably wrong with you you're there for the experience so like you say you know in the in your kitchen diner you've got the television on in the background the family are buzzing around you're eating it's just background noise it doesn't really matter but when you're gonna actually make a point of making popcorn or getting snacks together and then sitting you've probably planned it a couple days ahead you're gonna go it's saturday night you get the family together eight o'clock You've got your movie queued up. You're going to go sit in that specific room area of the house to enjoy a film. It's no different to when you plan to go to the cinema. The reason a lot of people will go to the cinema... Well, me personally, when I go to the cinema, it's to go and see those big blockbuster movies that have got to be seen on a big screen. Why would you wait for a a new Marvel release or a new Star Wars release or something like anything that Villeneuve does? I mean, Blade Runner 2049 had to be seen on the big screen. The amount of work that had gone into cinematography, sound and so on. There's no way I was going to wait for that film to come out and then watch that on my arguably decent 55-inch Samsung Curved with the sound system that I've got there perished the thought I'd ever watch a film like that on my iPhone. The problem nowadays is that a lot of people are doing exactly that. Mm -hmm. They're watching content on their phones. I've actually, I'm guilty of it, right? Because it was a novelty. When smartphones first came out and suddenly you found you could put an MP4 onto your phone and then you could be anywhere, you could be watching movies on the tube and so on. Mm -hmm. I've actually stopped doing that, particularly in the last year during the pandemic, I miss the cinema so much. I miss the experience of the big screen, um, of the sound system, of watching something as the filmmaker and all those hundreds, thousands of people that work so hard on this piece of work. I'm not going to go and insult them by experiencing their work on a tiny little screen. Maybe it's part of me getting older and grumpier as well. (laughs) <laughs> but the, it's this whole, and we're hearing it a lot now, watching films, watching content, listening to content as the artist, as the director intended. And I think that's where um, a, a lot of the interest in home cinema systems is is now coming back again. It's almost a resurgence, isn't it? You're absolutely correct. And then one thing that you referred to earlier, that technology has advanced exponentially and always does so much that for a reasonable cost you can have a fantastic audiovisual experience at home and obviously you know as with all technology and engineering yes the performance it's not sort of a linear uh, relationship it is exponential so if you want the absolute very best in performance yes you have to spend a small fortune because it's really difficult to get superb audio at home um, but you have you can have a wonderful experience and not not a great deal of money and at the end of the day it's about that experience you know when I watch a certain scene from a film I I want something to evoke that emotion and I want my eyes to swell up give me that give me the tools to to do that then I've I know that I've I've had a fulfilling experience what's the what's the most amazing what's the most interesting installation that you've done today or what's the biggest installation you've done today? Obviously, you don't need to name the customer because that's privileged. I guess it's the, the the quirky challenges which make it very, very interesting. I think one of the most memorable uh, was a family that um, had a, a traditional lounge with a, a, an Inglenook fireplace, which is the, the focus of the, of the lounge. It's, it's on one of our case studies on the website. The remit was, well, we want the lounge to look like this. We don't want it to look like a cinema. We don't want it to look like a studio. We want the lounge to look like this. And so, uh, you know, we we located the projector in, a, in an adjacent office room. Um, there's a piece of wall art, which we arranged to have motorized. So the wall art moved out of the way when the projector came on behind it. Um, and the the screen, we had a motorized electric screen that came down in front of the fireplace. And then it transformed uh, that lounge um, into a, an entertainment space, which normally had hardly ever been used you know, with, with clever use of technology and integrating it 
and blending things into the aesthetic, we were able to give the family exactly what they wanted. That that was a pretty cool, quirky project. And then, you know, we, we've done some lovely lounge, uh, sorry, uh, uh, loft conversions. A couple of our clients have got basements, which uh, double garage. These make fabulous spaces for dedicated uh, home cinemas. Um, and again, apart from the audiovisual um, aspect, a lot of it depends on the finish. Uh, and again, it's according to client and their and their budget. So, you know, some people that they, they, you can just go for a very very lavish finish of the room, very comfortable, very warm, beautiful colours and fabrics. Um, and again, it, it's very very much client dependent. You know, my ideal space is a, it's a, it's a black hole. You walk in, <laughs> it's pitch black, and all you can do is see what's in front of you and hear things. <laughs> Um, but you know, it, it's, it's very, very, uh, very individual, but my, my passion really is in you know, the, the audio visual experience. Um, for me that that's what I'm about. Um, and what I promise my clients is that, you know, according to your budget, I will try my utmost to deliver the best audio, audio visual experience for your budget than you can elsewhere, because I'm using particular systems designed in a certain way to give you that bang and that oomph um uh, and value performance for value yeah i'm a total immersion guy so i don't want fancy like well you do want fancy lights and things when you walk in but i don't <laughs> want fancy lights and stuff when the film's on um i want pitch black it's the same in the cinema i'm the guy that will chuck my popcorn bucket at someone's head if they dare to even switch their phone on <laughs> while i'm watching something <laughs> just annoying right which also means that when i eventually do come to you one day it's going to be very expensive i can see that now <laughs> oh it doesn't have to be yeah. it's uh it's it's the learning experience yeah um you know well, what's for, the, for, me, what's I, the for, for, for anyone that's listening to this that is thinking oh mm-hmm. god this stuff is out of my reach what's what's the entry level point with my particular systems um you know our music systems our Lingdorf Audio Electronics music system start from about £3,000, which will match easily the performance of speaker systems, which, which you know, cost 10, 15 grand, simply based on the technology and the way that these things are designed. And then the sky's the limit. So when you see, when you have a Steinway system, and we, I was very, very fortunate to uh, install one in um, in the Midlands, as a particular hi-fi enthusiast uh, who's collected gear for years, uh, we transformed his entire system you know, based on the Steinway system. And, and in his words, he was listening to recordings that just sounded like brand new recordings. He'd never heard uh, the recordings sound like that previously. And again, it, it just comes to client budgets, but you know, the, the, the sky's the limit in terms of the audiovisual performance. You, you can visit the uh, uh, the Dolby headquarters in Soho, their studio. Um, so for their uh, cinema demo room where, you know, post-production screenings where you know movie stars have sat and watched their own performances and things they've got two christie projectors uh, which i think are about three hundred thousand pounds each the sky's the limit in terms of what people want to spend to get audiovisual excellence but there's always that relationship between performance and value you don't have to spend the earth to have the absolute very best in performance and, and that's where i come in so i uh, you know as i mentioned before i'm a consumer First and foremost, I I know what it's like to work hard and save and spend on things that you love. I hate waste. And so I approach my clients in exactly the same way. And if they're suggesting, look, can we get this? Well, you can, but this is actually much better value or this will perform so much better for what you want to spend. So I, you know, I'm more of an advisor and consultant. I don't like to just sell things to people uh, and not explain exactly what they're getting for, for what they're spending. I work in exactly the same way, exactly the same way. Um, I would just end up repeating everything that you've just said. But as an entry point, I mean, that sounds like really, really great value. So I would urge anyone that is thinking about this, no matter what your budget is, to actually have a look at the systems that we've talked about today and go to your website. I'll put the uh, web address in the show notes for everybody. Uh, along with some other links as well. I'm just making a shopping list while you were talking there as well. Sorry, couldn't help it. <laughs> <laughs> There's people that will cater for entry level if you just want to get into hearing some surround sound and Dolby Atmos. There's so much available uh, that's affordable. But then when you think that your... So your entry point is 3,000. By the time you've gone to 
one of the retail stores that we've mentioned and you, you know you start at a thousand and then by the time you've kind of added this and this up and installation etc you're kind of getting not too far off your entry point and your entry point as you said is so much better than anything that you can get from any regular stores so in my mind why would I not come and talk to someone like you while I'm going through that exercise anyway I think you're absolutely right. I was just making the point that at very, very basic entry level, but there's so many products out there which are very affordable. When you want to get a little bit more serious or you're more discerning or you want something with a lot more performance and then there's a lot of choice, that's when I say to clients, right, at this price point, these are the systems that you need to go and listen to. Um, and that's where I would start the comparisons. On the music side, just an interesting question actually just popped into my head. So before all this COVID stuff started, I've been building up a growing collection of vinyl, which a lot of people have. So we, we saw obviously the demise of the music store the last few years, sadly. A lot of a lot of music stores shut, HMV, a lot of trouble. But there has been this resurgence in people buying vinyl, especially among youngs, younger members of the population. And I just love, in the world of streaming, everything is just accessible instantly. You know, you hear a song, you shazam it, find out what it is. Within seconds, it's on your phone, you're listening to it. But we've kind of just lost that sort of old, you know, you knew an album was coming out. You had the date marked in your diary. The day it was released, you'd go to a record store. You'd pick up the CD or the LP and it would be in your hands. And you go through that whole kind of, um, just feeling things and unwrapping things and looking at the um, the booklet and looking at the song lyrics and the credits for every song and then placing a CD into the tray or an LP onto the turntable. How much demand have you seen from people that are coming from the vinyl perspective and wanting to enjoy that format of music in the best way that they possibly can? It's a great question. Um, in fact, the the, the people um, sort of who, who particularly retain their vinyl are, are, are uh, very strict audiophiles, and you'll find um, those people who've spent years and a lot of money perfecting their systems often will have a great vinyl collection, and they'll probably spend a small fortune on a fantastic turntable. Um, so the the client that I was referring to, who where we installed a signway system. He spent a small fortune on a beautiful turntable and he's got a great vinyl collection which we're able to integrate into the Steinway system. So for clients like that, it's really, really important to them. And it's very subjective. Music is very subjective. You know, the vinyl recordings sound fantastic. The whole high-res streaming, uh, it is a revolution. We're all in the digital revolution and it's very similar to sort of streaming films. In terms of um, compression, uh, when you're watching things streamed from Netflix or Amazon Video, you can get exceptionally good video content at, at 4K resolution, but it's the audio content which is still heavily compressed. Um, and the only way of getting much better audio recordings is using, again, physical disc, physical media. With two-channel sound recordings, actual high-res recordings, proper high-res recordings sound incredible. It, it's really very, very subjective when you want to hear that slight grain that you get from vinyl, that openness that you may not necessarily get on the recording, um, a digital recording. But again, it, it's that whole revolution between vinyl and CD. And again, it's very, very subjective. I, I think you're absolutely right when it comes to the experience of holding the sleeve and reading the cover and feeling the, the vinyl. And yeah, you, you lose all of that when it comes to simply click, download, listen immediately. But this is the age that we're living in. We're, we're living in the I want this now you know, I want to do my shopping, grocery shopping, or I want to, you know, I need my uh, stationary delivered tenant by 10pm tonight, click, 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 it's done. It's there for a reason, it makes a huge amount of money. There's, you know, there's an obvious reason why Jay-Z owns a streaming company. It's in demand. I think he's selling it though. Oh, really? <laughs> Tidal. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I need to check, I need to fact check that, but I think he's in the process of getting rid of it. So I think, again, it's very subjective, but there's a reason why it's there, there's a reason why it's evolved. I do urge people to go and read about um, some myths about high-res streaming. Uh, so there's a, there's a fabulous chap called Mark Waldrep um, who writes a lot online and, and articles and lectures about the myths of uh, high-res audio. So 
yeah, that there's a lot of myths about streaming high res audio and, and and paying a premium for that when in fact it's not actually high res recording in the first place, which is where it starts off at, and uh, people are paying a lot of money for stuff that isn't actually real you know arguably it might be slightly better but i mean up until recently i was paying two music subscription services so i have apple music because we're an apple generally an apple household although i'm testing a samsung at the moment for anyone that listened to my last pod rick is going to go mental um and also apple music is just easier for my other half to deal with and then i had a tidal subscription because I was sold into the whole sort of Tidal Master and high def, high definition audio and that sort of thing. And, you, you know, I've got pretty good headphones and so on. Couldn't really tell the difference. So I was like, what the hell am I paying three times as, well, not three Precisely. times as much, but what am I paying twice as much a month for on this other subscription service to really not hear anything different at all? For me, it was the equipment I was using that made more of a difference than the actual source. But again, you know, you're right. You can't beat physical media when you're watching or listening to anything. So it, it's an interesting time. The other thing I find with digital media is that you then take it for granted because you're able to get it instantaneously, but then it can just end up sitting there not getting listened to. Whereas the little bit of effort and it's an event when you say, right, I'm going to listen to some vinyl now go to your vinyl collection, have a little flick through, take some of this, the sleeves out and have a look at them. And then you decide what you're going to listen to, depending on your mood and all that sort of stuff. And then you put it on and then you end up listening to both sides all the way through, you know, that middle bit where you get to flip it over. It's an experience, right? Yeah. It's a certain romantic nostalgia and you'll find uh uh, there's a lot of TV shows and things where they will have a particular scene, whether it's Harvey Specter in suits in his office, or whether there's a scene in, in Money Heist where one of the, uh, the the guys who comes up the heist um, is playing vinyl and dancing to it. So that there's a, definitely a certain romantic nostalgia associated with that. That again, it, it evokes certain emotions. And hang on, everyone, let me just flick from my phone and find it. It's not the same thing because it is that whole when you first put. A record on and you put the needle onto the onto the the vinyl and then you get that little bit of static before it actually kicks in and starts um yeah i love all of that it also takes me back to childhood as well when my mum used to put her uh boney m records on during the day <laughs> and the beatles I, that's how i discovered all of these bands right when i was a kid it was through my mum's vinyl my mum and dad's vinyl collection my dad's side of the vinyl collection was mostly james brown he was a huge james brown fan i think things go in cycles so the digital revolution comes we all decide that we don't need physical media after a couple of years of it we then start hankering for our physical media again because uh, that was the better way of doing it and and these things do go in cycles i i think you know particularly something that lockdown over the last year has brought into focus is the fact that we are watching cinema rela- releases yeah on our home i was going to say about vinyl you know we, we, we shan't start the argument on uh, who are the proper djs these days <laughs> <laughs> the ones that use vinyl, the you ones mean... that just queue it up into a MacBook and then just kind of pretend so they're I'm not going to tell you which one I am. <laughs> exactly, because that's the that's the thing. You see people on social media calling themselves DJs. We could get into the whole DJ thing and do another hour on this, but we're probably just about running out of time. So, um, Artif, thank you so much for today. This has just been fascinating and brilliant, and I'm going to have to get you back. And thank you so much for the invite to go to Thatcham and to... Um, I can't wait to see and hear all this stuff it's just yeah I'll be like a kid in a toy shop it'll be absolutely brilliant and I can't wait so where can people find you so I'm uh, Zebra Home Cinema is based in Little Aston in Sutton Coalfield in the West Midlands Uh, that's where I've got the uh, Miller and Kreisel demo suite here at home Uh, we're going to be taking bookings as soon as lockdown's over and for those people who are searching far beyond um what is you know something extraordinary off the planet then we take them down for a vip demo to thatcham and headley where that's the flagship demo facility for steinway lingdorf in the uk so we've got both options depending what you're seeking 
But no, no, I, I very much look forward to hosting you there uh, and being part of your fantastic series of podcasts. I'm learning a great deal and it's just fascinating just to learn about what other people are up to um, and, and, and love your questions. Thank you. I will also make sure that I have your Instagram, YouTube and website links in the show notes as well um, so people can get in touch with you. Thank you so much again. I hope you've enjoyed this morning. It's been a blast. What an amazing, fascinating guest. Thank you so much to Artif for sharing your story and taking us on such an incredible journey through high-end audio. That's it for another week. If you're enjoying my show, please do leave me a rating and review. It really helps other people to discover us and give the show a go. Another way to help the show is to share us with your friends, family and colleagues. I love to hear your questions, comments, feedback and ideas, so don't be a stranger and please get in touch. If you'd like to apply to be a guest on the show, just send me a direct message on Twitter or Instagram or email me via the website. Once more, thank you so much for listening and for your amazing support. I can't wait for you to join me on the next one.